morning, everyone. Yeah, and welcome to church. It was wonderful to hear you all sing together this morning. Uh, back there, tucked away on the bass, like almost tears in my eyes because you guys sounded beautiful, and some of you sounded really off. Um, but it was, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. That was a joke. It was beautiful to hear you guys worship together this morning and to hear your voices fill this room. And uh, so it was it's pretty awesome to worship with you all this morning. Um, <clears throat> a couple of quick things before we get into this morning's message. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4, we'll be there for the next like three weeks at least, uh, probably longer. But John chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1 today. But I did want to mention a couple other things. Uh, most of our community groups, some of you are involved in our community groups, um, are on some sort of summer schedule. That means that some of them are not meeting regularly like they used to. Uh, some of them are meeting a little more irregularly, and some of them are meeting more for like cookouts and far more like social events and kind of just community building type events. And so um, if you have questions about that, I'm hoping to maybe have like a little flyer for you guys next week and just put it on the welcome table. That way, if you ever need to reference something, you can. But if you need help, you can definitely talk to your community group leaders if you are a part of one already. But if you're looking to get involved in one and get your foot in the door, make sure you see me, make sure you see Dan. And like I said, we'll get uh, a flyer out uh, hopefully next week. I just wanted, I, I started putting one together this weekend and then I just thought, you know what, I better run it by Dan just to make sure I got it all correct before I get misinformation out there, which would be horrible. So be looking for one next week, but then also make sure you talk to somebody and stay connected through the summer. There's a lot of fun events that are happening. And then the other thing is, when you came in this morning, um, I mentioned this last week, I had new invites printed with the summertime of 10 a.m. on the back. And so if you grab some of those other ones that has two service times, you're gonna confuse your friends and they're gonna show up to church at weird times. And so <clears throat> invite them to church still this summer, especially in the book of John like this, because there's gonna be lots of opportunities for just us to present the gospel and hopefully they'll respond. And so invite your unsaved friends, invite your friends that might be running from God or maybe have been away from church for a long, long time. Invite them to church. Grab one of these cards. Grab a few of these cards. There's all over the chairs, but then there's a bunch on the table as you leave today as well. So awesome. Let's read our text together. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, a very familiar passage of scripture. And uh, hopefully you won't check out on me, but we will see the beauty of the gospel in this passage together. It says this first one. <clears throat> now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of, of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weird as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Verse 7, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? 
He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. One more time, before we do anything else, let's pray this morning. Father, I pray that you would bless this word. God, that you would bless each heart here. God, each life here, each person that you've gathered to this church today, God, to hear these words. God, I pray that you'd open that heart wide open. That you would open that, that heart, God, to behold you as the Christ, that you and in only you is living water that will satisfy any and every thirst of our souls. So God, I pray that that would well up to eternal life today. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So like I said earlier, we're going to be in this passage for quite a few weeks, and there's just so much here that I want us to be able to give it some justice, and even with the amount of time that we're going to spend it, we could spend much more time. But today, I want to focus in on the fact that Jesus has found himself here at this well talking to this woman. Just that simple fact that he has found himself in Samaria talking with a woman at a well in the middle of the day. When you look at our text, as it opens up, you see that Jesus is heading towards Galilee. He leaves Judea, and he has to pass through Samaria. And he does this. It's, he does this after he hears, after Jesus hears that the Pharisees hear that Jesus is gaining more disciples than John. So the Pharisees, they were not a big fan of John. They didn't like John, but John was like the crazy man out in the wilderness who wears camel skins and eats bugs. 
Like, they understand that he's got followers, whatever, but they, they, they see him as a threat of, of only so much. But now Jesus, this Jesus guy, is on the scene, and he's gaining more followers, and they're baptizing even more. And so they hear about this, and Jesus hears that the Pharisees hear that Jesus is gaining more disciples than John. They didn't like John, but now Jesus is gaining more traction. So Jesus leaves town, and I don't want you to be mistaken, okay? As we talked about last week, I want you to remember from verse 31 of John chapter 3 that Jesus is the one from above, right? He's the one from above, and he is above all. And so I don't want you to be mistaken that Jesus hears about the Pharisees, and he's like, oh, dang it, I need to get out of here. I'm scared. They're gonna, something's going down. I need to leave town quickly. Okay, because he is from above and he is above all. He is sovereign over all of this. And the spirit is over him without measure, as it reminds us in verse 34. And he was so loved, Jesus is so loved by the Father that the Father has given all things into his hands, as it says in verse 35. So he's not leaving because he's afraid. But I think he's leaving because his time has not come yet. His hour has not come yet. Remember in uh, John chapter 10, and I, I, I hate referencing John when we're in John because I don't want to blow the big reveal for later. But in John chapter 10, when he says that he is the good shepherd, he says that he lays down his life for his sheep, that no one takes it from him. He's not afraid that the Pharisees are going to take his life before the appointed time, but he knows that this time has not come yet. Verse 18 says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So he's not leaving because he's scared or that he's fearful, but he's leaving probably because it's just not time yet. That his hour has not come. You're going to hear that a lot too. John chapter 2, we talked about it briefly, that his hour, the, the appointed hour, has not come. In John chapter 7, John chapter 8, you'll, you'll hear about it even more. His time has not come for him to be betrayed into the hands of sinners, as it says in Mark chapter 14. So he leaves town, and he goes by way of Samaria. Again, our text says this. It says, Now when Jesus had learned the Pharisees, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of, Sychar, uh, of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So he leaves Judea, and he starts heading north for Galilee. And he had to go through Samaria. Now, yes, Samaria is north of Judea, and it is in between Judea and Galilee. So if you picture it, there's Judea, there's Galilee, and in the middle there is Samaria. And when you're journeying, when you are traveling miles and miles and miles by foot in the Middle Eastern sun, it is advantageous, it is strategic to take the shortest route. But it's not quite that cut and dry. See, because many Jews probably would have thought about taking a different route. 
Many Jews back then would have chosen to go around Samaria. They would have crossed the Jordan and maybe gone up on the West Bank or maybe gone into the sea and, and traveled by sea up the shore to Galilee. If you've ever been in a car and you've come up on some construction, right? And you have the GPS going and it says rerouting, construction ahead, rerouting, right? Or if you're traveling around and, and there's an accident ahead, right? You're still on the fastest route or maybe rerouting to get you on the fastest route. A GPS back then may have said, unclean Samaritans up ahead, <laughs> rerouting. Because Jews in that time, as it says in our text, had no dealings with Samaritans. See, there's a conflict between the Jews and Samaritans, and it's not really a physical one at this point. But there is definitely animosity. And it's a story and a conflict that goes way back. Over 700 years probably. In my study this week, I came across D.A. Carson's commentary and he puts it this way. Samaria had no separate political existence from the Jews in Jesus' day. It was united with Judea under the Roman uh, procurator, right? So it's not a political division because right now everybody's under Rome. Nevertheless, for both Jews and Samaritans, the area was defined both by history and religion. King Omri, okay, King Omri was the sixth king of the northern kingdom. Okay, you read about him in 1 Kings 16, 1 Kings 17. Um, he was evil. And he was so evil. Like when, you read, like when we did our Judges series not too long ago, um, you would hear that some of the Israelites, whether it be one of the judges or one of the kings, they did evil in the sight of of God, right? You remember that phrase? We read that over and over in our Judges series. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 26, verse 20, uh, chapter 16, verse 25, it says this, King Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and then here's this, and did more evil than all who were before him. It's not a good thing to be said of you. Okay, not only does he do evil in the sight of the Lord, like all of his predecessors, but he did eat more evil than all of them. Okay, so King Omri, he named the new capital of the northern king, kingdom Samaria, and then from there, that name was often transferred to the district and sometimes even the entire northern kingdom. So Samaria was named by King Omri. He's the sixth king of the uh, northern kingdom. Now, the Assyrians came in, and they captured Samaria in about 722, 721 B.C., and what the, what the Assyrians did is they deported all of the Israelites of substance from the land. They, they kicked them out of the land. And then they settled the land with foreigners. And those foreigners then intermarried with the surviving Israelites. And then they forced them and they convinced them to adhere to some of their uh, forms of their ancient religions. So after the exile, Jews returning to their homeland... Uh, the remains of the southern kingdom viewed the Samaritans as this. They viewed the Samaritans this way. Children of political rebels, racial half-breeds with a religion that was tainted. Okay? So this is the view of Jews of the Samaritans. Political rebels, children of political rebels, racial half-breeds, what a horrible phrase, in a religion that was tainted by various unacceptable practices. 
So this animosity, this conflict, this view between Jews and Samaritans goes back 700 years, and thus Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And that's who they are because of history. That's who they are because of their forefathers. This woman who shows up to the well probably has none of that in her. Right? She probably, like, that might, might not be anything a part of her, but that is the stigma that she carries because of history. There's nothing she can do about it, and it's seemingly unfair. And our text says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go to the town of Sychar. He had to go near the field that Jacob gave to Joseph. And he had to sit at the well that Jacob, their forefather, drank from himself. And yes, geography probably played a part of it. But when I look at this interaction, I can't help but see this beautiful, divine appointment between Jesus and this woman. Maybe think of the phrase, right, Casablanca, of all the gin joints in all the world, of all the wells and all the timing and all the, of all the places, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to sit at this well at this sixth hour of the day, wearied from his journey, so he could chat with this woman. He had to meet this woman. It was a God-ordained moment, a God-ordained divine appointment for him to be there at the sixth hour in the heat of the day. The sixth hour, that, that's around noon for those of us who don't speak biblical clock, okay? It's the heat of the day so that he could chat with this tainted, compromised, half-breed woman. That's her upbringing, that's her heritage. That's her ancestry. And there's nothing she can do about it. And it seems so unfair. But God so loved the world. The world. Not just the Jews. The world. That salvation was from the Jews. Salvation is in Christ, who is a Jew. Yes, salvation is from the Jews, as it says in our text but now it's being extended and poured out on all who would hear his voice and believe on him. Believe on him. Cast their life upon him. God so loves the world, the broken world, the filthy world, the unclean and unlovely world that he comes to Samaria, to a well, to talk to a woman. This morning, I want you to understand that our God, Jesus Christ, is a beautiful, relentless pursuer of your heart. The beautiful thing about God's love, it's, I, we talked about this last week and two weeks ago, it's not because we're so lovely. It's not because we're so worthy. There's a lot of people who preach this passage and a lot of good pastors that, that well-intended um, and um, we'll preach this passage for us to like engage sinners. Like get out there, get to the watering hole, right? Get around the watering cooler in your office and engage, mix it up with sinners. Please make no mistake. In this story, you are not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. <laughs> in this story, you are the woman. I am the woman. 
tainted, broken, sinful. Because of my nature, that's so unfair. Born as, a, as we talked about last week in Ephesians 2, a child of wrath. But then as we read in John 1, for those who believe, who believe in his name, he gives the right to be called children of God. That when we are born again, as it says in John 3, born of the spirit, that our nature becomes new. We're no longer children of wrath. That that old, dirty, filthy, Samaritan nature, that with that stigma that we care, carry with us, is cleansed and made new by the spirit of God. He's a relentless pursuer of the lost and running. He's the beautiful redeemer of the broken. He is the only means of true purity, cleanliness, and righteousness. It's only found in Jesus. So Jesus has to go through Samaria. He has to find himself near Jacob's well. He has to talk to a woman. And he asks her, the first thing out of his mouth, he asks her for a drink. The first thing out of his mouth is he said, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink from your bucket? Can I have a drink, you unclean Samaritan woman, from your bucket? He doesn't have anything to draw with. He's going to have to drink from her bucket. Did you ever, have you ever asked a friend... Have you ever had a friend ask you for a drink from your water bottle? It gets a little weird, doesn't it? Like, you're friends, but then you're like, oh, where's his mouth been? Oh. <laughs> like, you're like, you know, you're wiping off the germs. It gets kind of weird. Can I, hey, can I get a swig from your analogy? No. <laughs> Jesus looks at this rebellious, dirty, half-breed and asks for a drink from her bucket. What a beautiful picture of community to commune with Jesus. He asks for a drink to share with her, and it's beautiful. And so far, what we've talked about is only who the Samaritans are and who Jesus is in his beautiful, pursuant nature. We haven't even talked about the woman herself yet. Right? We're just talking about her heritage, the stuff that she had nothing to do with, but just her unclean, tainted background. Now let's look at her personally. Verse 7, it says this, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me? A woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So next week we're really going to hit the thirst. We're going to hit the gift of God. We're going to talk about living water next week. Today we're just talking about Jesus pursuing you and me. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Okay, do you see some of the parallels here between this conversation with this woman at the well and some of the conversations with Nicodemus? 
Okay, like super literal, right? You must be born again. Well, how am I going to climb back into the womb? Right, like super literal, not getting it. Here's some living water. You don't have a bucket. How are you going to get this living water? Jesus said to her, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Okay, still pretty literal. She's not getting it. Give it to me so that I don't have to be thirsty or I don't have to carry these heavy buckets anymore. I don't have to come all the way here. In the heat of the day, verse 16, Jesus says, go and call your husband and come here. That's quite a turn right there, okay? Talking about living water, she find, like, he finally said, like, here's, this is what you need is living water. She's like, okay, well, give it to me. And now he turns, go get your husband. The woman answered him, I have no husband. She's at least honest. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Wow. Is that a low blow? Kind of feels like a low blow on the surface, right? It's like, here's living water. You need living water. You'll never thirst again. If you take this living water, well, give it to me. Go get your husband. <laughs> Hit her right where it hurts, it seems. Right? It seems like a low blow. Talking about living water, you're reeling her in. She asks for the water, and then you seemingly poke at her where it hurts the most. Jesus, by the power and the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, he knows her so deeply. He knows her situation. He knows her past. He knows her sin. He knows her promiscuity. He knows maybe how the other men were unfaithful and hurt her. He knows how she herself was unfaithful. And he knows the shame and pain that she continues to walk in every day. Sin and shame so heavy that, that it makes those full clay watering jars or those full wooden watering buckets in the midday sun feel easier than the pain, the hurt, the shame that she carries every day. You get it? Like, no one goes to the well at noon with heavy buckets of water unless you're trying to avoid everyone else. The reason why she's there, all the other women, like, go in the cool of the day, in the morning, in the evening, but she is tired of being talked about. She's tired of being shamed. She didn't want to hear it anymore. She didn't want to hear the others chatting about her poor choices and her infidelity and all the losers that she married before. She didn't want to be reminded of it again. She carried that weight every day, and it's far heavier than some buckets full of water. Jesus knows all of it, and he goes right after it. He goes right after it to show that he's the Messiah and the long-awaited hope of all mankind and to shatter any pretense, to knock down all of her walls of self-protection, to undo her and to lay her soul bare. He points to her past, to her sin, to her shame, to her soul's thirst. And he offers living water. He offers himself. The Messiah, the hope of mankind, is standing in front of her, pursuing her. 
so that she might place her believing, so that she might place her faith, so that she might cast her life upon the Messiah. Not just her life going forward, but all the shame of her past. There, I don't know of any... This story is so beautiful. This story is so full of the nature of God and every one of our own natures. Again, we like to separate ourselves and we want to place ourselves as the hero of everything. Like we are always the good guy in our imaginations and in our stories. And when I look at scripture, like there's a beautiful thing, church, to identify with this woman. We are adulterous. We are promiscuous, right? It might not be literally um, sexually, but man, look at the Israelites. Read Hosea. Like, they wandered, even through judges, man. How many times did the Israelites give themselves over to the Baals? They worshiped the Baals and the Ashtaroth. God had to raise up a judge to call them back and to rescue them. In their sin, we're the same. We are the woman at the well. We have this beautiful redeemer who's pursuing us. This beautiful redeemer who calls us to himself and promises this beautiful living water that not only quenches your thirst, but wells up within. So that you never have to go anywhere else to satisfy that thirst. The God of the universe, we talked about it just, um, uh, you will not see the kingdom of God unless you are born of water and spirit, right? The water being the cleansing, the purification, washing away your sin, but that spirit being that newness of nature, right? Cleansed from the past, made brand new to walk in the newness of God. It is a beautiful thing to be pursued by Jesus. I hope that you sense his Holy Spirit in your life, calling you and drawing you away from all the trappings of the world. So we're going to talk about it more next week, but we all have a thirst. We all have that thirst within us, and we fill it with a bunch of junk, a bunch of temporary, sinful pursuits, comforts of this world. We need the comforter that Jesus promised to make us new, to undo us, to get into those um, shameful parts of our life to cover us to reconcile us to redeem us we're no longer children of wrath but he calls us sons and daughters Romans 8 verse 1 one of my favorite passages of scripture there is now therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus you are no longer condemned. Your accusers, where are your accusers now? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks too. John chapter 8, I hate blowing the reveal, right? Woman caught in adultery, guys ready to stone her. You without sin, cast the first one. They all drop their rocks. In Christ Jesus, you are no longer condemned. 
For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What a beautiful thing to be pursued by Jesus. Spent a lot of time this week thinking about the story of the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15. That story is just blows me away every time. You've got this son who goes to his dad and he asks for his inheritance. I'm tired of working in dad's house. I'm tired, like, I, I, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go experience life. I gotta go experience this world. And he goes to his dad and he asks for his inheritance. I want my inheritance now. I can't wait for you to die. It doesn't say that in scripture, but that's essentially what you're saying. I can't wait until you're dead because now I get all your stuff. So just give me my stuff now so I can go live my life. You guys know the story. Squanders it. Wine, women, and song. Finds himself in the pig pen. Feeding pigs. Eating the pig food comes to his senses. What have I done? What have I done? Not just ruined my life, but what have I done with this relationship with my dad? Comes to his senses and he goes, maybe I can go back. Maybe I can go back and at least just be a servant in the house of my father. Maybe I can be his servant. Maybe I will be his slave. That would be better than the life that I've just sown for myself. I'll just go back and be a slave. It's cool. I'm that humble at this point. And his dad is waiting for him. Peering off. He's like standing on the porch, peering off in the distance, just waiting for his son to come home. You guys know the story. Sees his son far off, hikes up his skirt, right? Not skirt, but robe. Can't run with those things on. He hikes it up, and he runs out to his son. My son who was dead is now alive. Puts a ring on his finger. Puts a robe on his back. He's alive. Let's party. Let's have a feast. That's our story. That's your story. That's my story. And it's beautiful to be pursued by Jesus. I hope Two things. If you are outside of Jesus right now, if you've been running and rebellious, I hope that you respond to the Holy Spirit this morning and you put your faith in him because it is the only way to eternal life. We talked about that extensively last week. And if you're in this place and you've been a Christian for a while, I hope that you would worship, worship, Worship that you are his son and daughter. Worship because he has called you his own. That your life was on a path for wrath. But because of his great mercy, because of his great love for you, he has called you his son and daughter with an inheritance of eternal life with joy and peace and hope in this life that transcends all the garbage, all the circumstances, all the stuff. 
but with an inheritance that goes beyond this place of eternal life. There's a song that has been in my head all week, and um, two songs, actually. But uh, I just played it for my wife in the car the other day. The song overall, like, musically, I don't even like it. <laughs> but there's a really, like, good riff in the bridge, and it says... Uh, you put a ring upon my finger. You put a robe upon my back. You threw your arms around me and said, my son, my daughter, don't forget it. Don't forget it. You are my son, my daughter. Don't forget it. Don't forget what God has done for you. As we conclude, um, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. The band's going to come and... Uh, I might lead us in a song as we conclude today. The other song that was in my head all week. I didn't, I didn't mean to cry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love Jesus. If you're in this place today, then maybe you've been running. You know you need the living water that only Jesus provides. You know that the Savior has been pursuing you. And you showed up today at this place and you know that you were supposed to be here. You know that God is calling you to himself, that you would put your faith in him and find eternal life. If that's you in your, this place and you would be so bold, I'd love to pray for you. If you could look up and catch my eye and make that declaration with your eyes, I need to follow Jesus. I place my faith and my trust in him. Just look up and catch my eye, please. Make that declaration this morning. Thank you, guys. Thank you. declaring God that they need the living water that comes from Jesus and that this morning they place their faith and their trust in you and they go from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. I rejoice because God you embrace them fully. God you call them son, you call them daughter, you call them yours and we rejoice in eternal life found in you. God I pray that you would give them your Holy Spirit God, that you would cause them to live to the glory of your name, that you would strengthen them, God, that you would confirm in their hearts that they have been made new, born again by the Spirit of God, God, that they would rejoice because they belong to you. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. I also want to address us in this room today that are really, really burdened by our past. Like I said, man, that woman came to the well in the middle of the day, in that hot 
Middle Eastern sun at noon carrying buckets full of water because that was easier than the shame that she experienced from the other woman, the other women that would come to the well. Some of you are really, some of you may still struggle with your past. Understand that in Jesus, it is covered. It is covered. And I hope that you experience freedom in the lightness that comes because he took all that sin, he took all that shame, he took all that hurt, and he took it to the cross, and you bear it no more. It was nailed to the cross. There was freedom and life found in him. And so be encouraged this morning. Walk in that, that Jesus paid it all. Walk in that newness and rejoice, worship in that reality. And so this morning again, we're going to sing before we leave. And I'm actually going to Please stand with me.